The information you want, the information you need on your Tri-Cities Morning News. Good day to you and welcome to another installment of the Kona News Podcast, an abridged version of the Tri-Cities Morning News that we run weekdays Monday through Friday on News Radio 610 KONA. We'll be starting with some local and regional news here across the Pacific Northwest. And coming up shortly thereafter, a conversation with Catherine Falders, ABC News correspondent in Washington, D.C. We'll be talking about some of the disruptive happenings that have been going on at school board meetings across the country and what the federal government is going to be doing potentially to help those districts out. I'm Derek Maselli. And I'm Glenn Vaughan. Benson County officially has a new sheriff, Tom Crosskey, uh, sworn in Monday and says he knows there's a lot of work to be done. Very simply by treating the employees with respect and dignity and being upholding integrity myself. Crosskey called it a new era and pledged that things will be different at the Justice Center. There's a new fund doling out grants to help indigenous communities in the Pacific and Mountain West providing direct assistance to Indigenous individuals and families most in need in the wake of the missing and murdered Indigenous um, women and people crisis. Grant coordinator Joni Crines talking about the Red Blanket Fund, adding that there are several grants available for Native families to help with searches, aftercare, and even funerals. You can learn more just by searching Red Blanket Fund into your favorite online search engine. You may see Kennewick School buses with the number four alongside their usual route number and wondering why that is. Well, it's all in honor of 72-year-old Richard Lenhart. He was the Pasco school bus driver who was killed while on the job last month. Lenhart drove the Route 4 for the Pasco school district. Seven passengers who were injured in the derailment of a Seattle-bound Amtrak train last month now suing. Clifford Law Offices released a statement yesterday announcing the separate suits against Amtrak and the BNSF Railway Company that owns and maintains the tracks. The train was on course between Chicago and Seattle when it derailed near Joplin, Montana, killing three and injuring dozens more. One woman is dead, another critically injured after both were shot while leaving their vehicle Sunday night in Toppenish. Police say it all happened around 1130 off the corner of E and Dayton. We're asking the public if anyone um, has any information regarding this case to call the Toppenish Police Department. Police Chief uh, John Clary said they are searching for a suspect in this case. The owner of the Portland Thorns laying out plans for moving forward following last week's report in The Athletic, which detailed sexual misconduct allegations against former head coach Paul Riley. Merritt Paulson, who's the majority owner of the company that owns both the Thorns women's soccer team and the MLS's Portland Timbers, penned an open letter apologizing for not doing more after choosing to not renew Riley's contract. He adds the team is also renewing its commitment to the league's anti-harassment policy, adopting a confidential and anonymous reporting system, and making crisis mental health and wellness resources available to staff and players. Washington Governor Jay Inslee giving non-union and exempt Washington workers a little more time to get their COVID-19 shots before possibly losing their jobs. Inslee's office announced it is extending some union provisions and non-represented and exempt workers. Those provisions allow workers who start the, the vaccination process late to use up to 30 days of unpaid leave to complete the vaccination regimens. 
workers who request for a medical or religious exemption is denied will also be able to use up to 45 days of unpaid or paid leave to get their uh, COVID-19 vaccines. The deadline for state workers to be fully vaccinated against the coronavirus is October 18th, which for many meant Monday was the last day to get that shot. You're listening to the Kona News Podcast. It's time to talk now with Catherine Folders, ABC News correspondent in Washington, D.C. Recently, Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a memo ordering the FBI and prosecutors around the country to start meeting with local law enforcement to address the disturbing rise in threats against school officials and teachers. Catherine, I understand the Attorney General is... uh looking at school board meetings and trying to keep them safe. What's going on here? Yeah, so Merrick Garland issued a memo yesterday ordering the FBI and prosecutors around the country to start meeting uh, with local law enforcement to address what what he says and what local leaders have called uh, a disturbing rise in threats against school officials and teachers. Uh, Garland writes in the memo that threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's uh, core values. So what exactly is he doing here? It's this new directive that he's issued. Um, The department is also creating specialized training and guidance for for local school boards and administrators to help them understand what comments can uh, constitute threats and and how to report such conduct uh, to law enforcement. Uh, he, He cited more than 20 instances of threats, harassment, disruption, and acts of intimidation. Uh, targeted at school officials. Um, and, and look, this comes, this letter was sent to uh, the FBI Director Chris Ray and, and prosecutors around the country. And, and this comes as the National Association of, of School Boards last week asked the White House uh, for federal assistance. So what this memo is doing is showing uh, this escalation of, of their response, the federal government's response to so this packed school boards meeting that we've seen uh, where you've seen them on, on television, whether it's protesting of COVID-19 protocol, vaccine mandates, uh, mask mandates. So again, uh, representing uh, the fact that the local schools have asked for help. They said they needed help. And this is a federal government's response to what they've asked for. Really nice to see that uh, the, the government is kind of responding to those pleas from the local school districts. But you mentioned this memo, Catherine. Is there any outline that, that we know of that specifically explains what's to do at the local level. I imagine, you know, some schools do have resource officers that may or may not be available to help with these types of things. Others do not. What is kind of the guidance that they're being given to sort of mitigate the disturbances going on at a lot of these meetings at the local level? I think that's a good question. It's hard for the federal government to come in and say, here's here's like a blanket directive, a blanket policy to each individual school board, because to your point, uh, every school board is different here. So I think what it does is the federal government saying, look, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to know what, what you need, what assistance you need from us, and then let's meet together, come up with a strategy to mitigate this, right? So, uh, again, I think it's a, it's a question of, of how this will ultimately play out. Will this look different in different uh, school boards in different areas? And I think that answer that answer is yes. And now that the that the local leaders, that these local school boards have essentially the green light from from the federal government to say, hey, we want to sit down with you. We need your help on developing a strategy. I think we'll see uh, more of that uh, in the coming weeks, how each uh, individual school board that needs assistance responds to it.
Catherine, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. I think most of us would say, hey, if you're at a school board meeting saying, let's go figure this out in the alley, that's the kind of stuff we need to stop. But you mentioned uh, protests in there. Uh, Is there a line in which the attorney general is saying this is permissible, this is not, and making sure that uh, while nobody wants a tense meeting at the school board, people's First Amendment rights are still being honored? Yeah, I think to your question about that and, and, and to Garland's uh, directive, that's why DOJ is creating this sort of specialized training and this guidance for local school boards. Again, this is all you know issued yesterday. This is still in the works. It's still being created. Um, but you know, to really help them understand what comments, right? What outbursts? What what happens at school board meetings and what? comments constitute threats right and how to report these to to law enforcement uh, specifically so uh to your point about that I, I think we'll have to kind of uh see how that evolves now a member of the national school board association uh, i was just watching a, a bit ago on on cable tv who, who said that you know she's been deeply concerned about what's been occurring and, and some of these instances where uh, their threats of violence are very serious. I think we'll see more about, you know, that scale uh, that we talk about, what, what constitutes um, threats of violence and, and what is just, uh, you know, more protesting. Um, I think that's something we'll keep an eye out for. ABC's Catherine Falders, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Tri-Cities Morning News. The information you want, the information you need on your Tri-Cities Morning News. It's the Kona News Podcast brought to you by News Radio 610 KONA, giving you everything you need to know about the Pacific Northwest and then some. Speaking of the and then some part, let's look at some national headlines from across the country and then we'll wrap things up with more regional news. I'm Derek Maselli. And I'm Glenn Boggan. Johnson & Johnson requesting the Food and Drug Administration authorize a booster shot for recipients of its COVID-19 vaccine. Johnson & Johnson shared data with the FDA that shows a second dose of its vaccine given two months after the first increased protection against moderate to severe COVID-19 to 94%. When a booster was given six months after the primary shot, antibody levels increased ninefold. The FDA's scientific advisors will hold a public hearing next Friday, and the J&J booster could be authorized soon after. That was ABC's Aaron Katursky. And one of the best-known football coaches in the country saying sorry after he was seen in a video on social media partying without his wife. ABC's Andrew Deinbert has the details. Jacksonville Jaguars football coach Urban Meyer is apologizing after video surfaced of him partying and dancing provocatively with a woman who is not his wife. I just apologize to the team and staff and uh, for being a distraction. Just stupid, just stupid uh should not have myself in that kind of position. Meyer, in his first year coaching in the NFL, has come up empty so far this season, with his Jags winless after four games. The video surfacing just hours after Thursday night's loss to the Bengals. Again, ABC's Andrew Deinbert. 55 years after uh, taking the helm of the USS Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, or at least the guy who pretended to be him, is headed into space. Only this time, as we hear from ABC's Jim Ryan, it's the real deal. What the man they think I am back home. Hardly a five-year mission, William Shatner's 66-mile trip into space and parachute ride back down to the West Texas desert will take only about 10 minutes. 
Next Tuesday's launch will be a dream come true for the 90-year-old and the return of a favor from Jeff Bezos, the founder of space tourism company Blue Origin. Bezos, in alien makeup, had a cameo in 2016's Star Trek Beyond. Jim Ryan, ABC News. Rocket Man, burning out his fuse out here alone. <laughs> what can you say about Bill Shatner? What, that hasn't already been said. Uh, I will say that I, I, so I grew up with Next Generation. Okay. And so uh, Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard, is uh-huh. more so my Star Trek captain. But I'm still oh. familiar. Uh, I didn't know that about Bezos, actually, and the whole alien thing. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. The more you know. But uh, let's switch topics here. Another very important topic of conversation right now. Fresh off his visit last week to the Middle East, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan set to hold key meetings with Israeli leaders. U.S. officials say Sullivan will discuss ways to improve the lives of Palestinians, uh, maintain quiet in Gaza as they, there's uh, you know the conflict over the Strip and such, and move forward with the Abraham Accords. He's working more on the normalization details between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Unique team of stakeholders, really. ABC's Jordana Miller reports from Jerusalem. The president's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, set to host his Israeli counterpart in Washington, Eyal Hulata. A senior U.S. official says the two will lead a session of the Strategic Consultative Group. That's a first-of-its-kind team of U.S. and Israeli politicians, generals, and intel officers strategizing on Iran from its nuclear threat to regional terror. A hot-button issue, of course, is U.S. efforts to rejoin the Iran nuclear deal, something Israel opposes. That issue sure to be discussed especially since Iran is now indicating it will return to the indirect talks on the deal in November. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. The Washington State Patrol is paying tribute to a trooper who died from COVID-19. Troopers held a memorial yesterday for 38-year-old Eric Gunderson, who passed away just three years after leading the agency's investigation into that deadly December 2017 Amtrak Cascades derailment. Gunderson contracted the virus while on the job, making him the 32nd trooper to die while in the line of duty in the agency's 100-year history. The Washington State Patrol chief called Gunderson a hero for his groundbreaking work of using drones for crash investigations. The Washington State Department of Health reporting 1,873 new cases of COVID-19 from over the weekend, along with 375 new hospitalizations and 42 COVID-related deaths. That was from Friday through Sunday. They tallied the numbers that brings Washington's death toll now cumulatively across the pandemic to 7,807. Washington health officials say childhood COVID-19 infections are the highest that they ever have been in last month. The State Department of Health says the seven-day rate of new infections in children jumped to nearly 400 cases per 100,000 children in mid-September. So far, nearly 58,000 kiddos ages 11 and younger have tested positive for COVID-19 in Washington since the pandemic began, along with another 68,000 kids between the ages of 12 and 19. Unfortunately, 13 children have died from coronavirus. The Oregon Health Authority reporting 3,286 new cases of COVID from Friday through Sunday. There were 769 people hospitalized with COVID and also eight new deaths, bringing the state's total now to 3,823 
COVID-related fatalities. Let's turn gears uh, and look at your News Radio 16 KONA wildfire watch with hunting season underway. Hunters being asked to stay out of the closed areas near Schneider Springs Fire. Work to fully contain the blaze still underway, and officials say that much of the wildlife has already left those restricted areas. As it stands, currently that fire has burned over 107,000 acres. At last report, it's about 55% contained. Just 22 personnel remain on site handling the Green Ridge Fire as activity continues to dwindle. Cooler weather and light rain has further minimized fire activity. The fire burned nearly 44,000 acres, but it's about 61% contained, and officials expect full containment by October 20th. A new arrival at the Portland Zoo, the Oregon Zoo, is uh, welcoming in a new family member. The zoo issued a news release over the weekend saying a 3,000-pound rhinoceros named King arrived at the zoo September 10th. The 8-year-old black rhino came from Chicago's Brookfield Zoo and is uh, settling in at Oregon Zoo's new Rhino Ridge. Officials say he'll be joined by a female rhinoceros later this fall. And say it ain't so. Bad news for beer lovers. The Central Cascade Bavarian town of Leavenworth, home to an Oktoberfest that traditionally sees over 40,000 tourists, has put an end to the omnipresent beer garden. The decision was met with varying opinions in the mountain village, with officials saying the event has outgrown the town and that a more family-friendly approach was necessary. However, many locals say the tradition is too important to change. In a separate note, the town of Odessa in Lincoln County just hosted their 50th annual Oktoberfest and will still offer a traditional beer garden. Frank Cooper, News Radio 610, KONA. Get social with News Radio 610, KONA. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another installment of the Kona News Podcast in the books. It's an abridged version of what you hear every weekday morning on the Tri-Cities Morning News. Give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the Pacific Northwest and then some. Derek Maselli saying thanks for listening.